Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Not only did Jesus deal death a fatal blow by dying and rising again to immortality, but now if you were one of his disciples, you had to be thinking about all the possibilities of what Jesus could accomplish in Jerusalem. You might have imagined that this was going to be the moment where Jesus took his rightful place on the throne, where he was going to restore the glory of Israel that had been lost so long ago. But then there might be lurking in the back of your mind somewhere. Jesus' own words as you sat with him in the upper room to eat the Passover. And perhaps you would remember that this isn't what Jesus said would happen at all. So we spend our last few weeks of Easter there in the upper room with Jesus, where he told his disciples what was going to happen after his departure. His departure. Jesus was leaving. And not just leaving as when he said, where I am going, you cannot come. Talking about the cross in chapter 13. Now, whenever we shift over to John chapters 14 through 17, Jesus talks about a different departure. One in which they would see him no more. He was going to leave them and things would never be the same. You can imagine how they must have felt. They were his closest friends for three years. They, they traveled together. They ate, drank, and slept together wherever it was that they were. They, they shared all things. They were as close as brothers. They considered Jesus their Lord and Master, but also their most faithful friend. And he was going to go. They built their whole life around him. And so he had to preface this teaching by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. But it didn't stop the disciples from questioning. As we even hear Thomas speak up in the gospel lesson today, he said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. When it comes to leaving, when it comes to being left, there's a profound sense of sadness that resonates with, with each and every single one of us. We all encounter this feeling in our own way based on our life circumstances. For me, I think about how I miss my friends that I grew up with. And as time has gone by, I, I lament the fact that we've drifted apart as our life stages have evolved. It's, it's nothing that anyone did, but the context of our relationships has changed. We don't see each other anymore, even though I wish we could. But that's, that's rather benign. Many of you have experiences with legit abandonment, whether it was a spouse, a parent, or a friend who outright left you, radically reshaping the way that you think about the future, deeply wounding your ability to trust anyone or anything. Leaving is what sinful human beings do. So why would our Lord leave the ones he loves? We'll explore that in two parts today as we consider... 
Where was Jesus going? And where are you going, Christian? Where was Jesus going? And where are you going, Christian? So where was Jesus going? Thomas could not make sense of it upon his first hearing, all right? He, he, honestly, he had yet to receive the Holy Spirit that was promised to him on Pentecost. So maybe we can cut him a little bit. But we have received the Holy Spirit, so maybe we can do better than Thomas whenever we hear these words. Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. This isn't just a general belief in a deity somewhere up there who might have something good for me. This isn't just a general belief that it's all going to work out. What Jesus calls them and us to here is trust. Not just head knowledge, not just agreement, but trust. Trust in a specific promise. That's why he adds not just faith in God, but also in Him. Because faith in God and faith in Jesus are one and the same because He and the Father are one according to their divinity as we're taught in the back half of our gospel lesson. And here's His promise. Here's what He's calling them and you to trust. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus' leaving was not cause for despair at all, but for rejoicing. He was not leaving because he wanted to be away from those wretched men. He was going to his Father so that he could prepare a place for his people to live, that they may be in the Father's house where Jesus is forever. Jesus talks about rooms. He says there's many rooms, or the KJV says many mansions, as many of you are familiar with. Now, Jesus didn't say that so that you would start thinking about what these rooms or these mansions would look like. He, he said that to communicate to you that there's many, that there's room. Room where? Well, he told his disciples that he would come and take them to be where he is. Which is the new creation. The new heavens and the new earth. See, the dynamics of their relationship with Jesus were about to change. No, about, no doubt about it. They would no longer see him in the flesh. But that wasn't always going to be the case, was it? Here they have the promise that their eternity with him would be one that is in the body. As Job confessed, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in my flesh I shall see God. Confession there of the resurrection. So if that's where Jesus was going, then where are you going, Christian? I'll tell you, wherever Jesus is, that's where you're going. If there are many rooms in the Father's house, that means that there's a room for you. 
one with your name on it, one that he has won for you through his death and his resurrection. Where is it that you feel abandoned? Where have you been disappointed, distraught by the brokenness of human relationships? The sting of those words whenever someone says to another, I'm leaving. Where have you wished that things could stay the same, but the ground beneath you, it continues to shift and try as you might, you cannot go back to how it was with someone. Hear Jesus' words spoken directly to your situation today. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Hear your Savior tell you that his leaving is not abandonment, but it's a promise. He leaves so that he can ascend to the Father and fill all things. He leaves so that he may bring humanity to God. He leaves so that he will graciously rule over all things. He leaves to prepare a place for you. He leaves so that, ironically, he will be with you always. And if he is with you even now, even though you're not able to see him, then I ask again, where are you going, Christian? You're going to where Jesus has gone. You're going through this life of toils and tribulations while living under God's gracious care for you as he constantly lavishes his grace upon you. You're going to where Jesus has gone as you have followed him into his death and resurrection through baptism as now you live that crucified and resurrected life here in the company of your brothers and sisters amid whom Jesus promises to be. You're going to the places that Jesus has called you to go in your vocations as he has prepared those things for you, as he has called you to walk in those good works, he goes before you. He has called you to produce those Christian fruits, the fruits of repentance in your life. He has called you to bring this gospel to your neighbors wherever he has you. That's where Jesus goes. That's where you go. And should the Lord delay his return, you're going to that place where you will be drawing your last breaths. But with every single one of them, you will confess Jesus as Lord. And he will send his angels to bear you up and to bring you to heaven where Jesus has gone before you so that you will be given free entry. And from there, you will await the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting in the new Jerusalem. That's where you're going. This is what Jesus says to you in his word today. And yet there's times where it feels so uncertain. It feels so unsure. 
Our circumstances speak to us louder than God's word does. There are days when our personal tragedies far outweigh our victories. Our sinful flesh gets the better of us more than we care to admit. In the journey to follow where Christ has gone and where he leads us, that it seems narrower and narrower and more difficult by the second. And perhaps we would never say it out loud, but we all feel at times that we are just one wrong move away from Jesus abandoning us in judgment. Rather than fix our eyes on his promise of eternal life, where true joys are found, and rather than living from that promise, the devil teaches us that our relationship with Jesus, the devil teaches us that our relationship with Jesus is just like that of human relationships, and it's based on performance. If you've been around for a while, you know that it's pretty typical that whenever I study a sermon text. There's some type of song that pops into my head. This week is no different. This week, there's this band out of Austin called Fastball. They wrote this song in 1998 called The Way. And if you had the radio on in 1998, and I mean well into 2000, 2001, it was on all the time. And so if it's playing in your head right now, I apologize. But there's that chorus that goes, where were they going without ever knowing the way? Fun and catchy little tune. But if you research the story that that song is based on, it's actually really dark. There was this elderly couple from Salado who got in their car one day to drive to a music festival outside of Temple. And when no one heard from them for a couple of weeks, they sent out a search party and whatnot. They found this elderly couple at the bottom of a ravine in Hot Springs, Arkansas. So they were hundreds of miles off course. It's a tragic story, but it's, this, it's a decent analogy for how we get so far off track in the Christian life. Right? Our intentions are pure. We want to go one way, but then sin, death, and the devil have a way of kind of knocking us off course, and then we end up hundreds of miles off track, and we all know what awaits us at the end of that. Well, we can detect this similar struggle in Thomas's questioning of his Lord. He says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? But Jesus had already told him. He said, you know the way. And then he finishes the thought. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why did Jesus say that? We're, we, we have a tendency to take that quote of Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and we kind of reduce it down to um, this claim of exclusivity which it is, Jesus is claiming to be the only way to God, that's for sure. And we tend to just use this as a proof text against our pluralistic culture. But what is the original intent? What is Jesus teaching? What is he saying to Thomas and the disciples? He is saying this for their comfort. It is good news that Jesus is the way, 
And therefore, we know the way. Because Jesus is the way, that means we know the way. That means that Thomas knew the way. It means that you know the way. It means that you are already on your way to where he has called you, to where he has gone, and to where he is. That's what it means that Jesus is the way. It's good news. It's not just exclusivity, although it does teach that. It is good news for you because you know the way. You see, whenever Jesus teaches us that he is the way, he is not presenting us with a mystery to solve. He is telling us who we are and where we are going. An old Lutheran theologian named R.C.H. Linsky said it this way, and I can say it no better. He said, only this one way takes us to the Father. The astounding thing is that this way is a person, this one person. This is not a dead road that one travels with his own strength, but a way such as never existed on earth. A way that picks us up in its arms and carries us to the destination. This way, we may venture to say, is like a vast stream which takes our little boat and with its flood power bears it to the ocean. That's how this way operates. It's not a way that you have to find on your own strength. It's a way that actually snatches you up and takes you where you need to go. Because you are united to Christ, you are in the way, you are on the way to where he wants you to be. You do not have to fear that you do not know the way. Your Lord wants you to know today that he has taken care of that. Can I remind you? You didn't find Jesus. He wasn't lost. He found you. You were the one who was lost. He found you, he plucked you up out of the muck and mire of sin, death, and the devil's kingdom, and he set you on the way to eternal life through him. He says to you, believe in God, believe also in me. That is trust. Trust, dear Christian, that you are in and on the way that is Jesus. So do not let your heart be troubled. Do not despair. Though you walk through this veil of tears amid the brokenness of human relationships and the the tragedy of abandonment, your Lord's leaving flies in the face of all that and says to you that there is a place always for you in his Father's house. He intends to live with you, brothers and sisters. Yes, you. He intends to be with you forever in the flesh where you can actually reach out and grab hold of those same scars that Thomas once felt. Where Jesus goes, you go. And as you travel through this life and where he has been, he has promised that he will keep you every step of the way that you need to go because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's got a hold of you now and forever, and he's not going to let go. Where Jesus has gone, that's where you're going. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.